This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, August 16th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today to help you, to help you become a better investor. And we are firmly in the second half of the year and the second pullback of the year. We had that bout of volatility around the banking crisis in the early spring, and now we're having a, a bout of volatility in right in the heart of summer. But these are natural. These are a natural part of asset markets. You have periods of solid returns, and you know it's two step forward, one step back. And so far, it's all it's been, one step back. But that's the near term. And the near term is always interesting and it is important to follow and, and keep an eye on. But those longer term secular trends are really going to be the guide. Because in general, that's how markets will move. Markets will move towards the fundamental reality of the economy over time. Near term, you can have liquidity conditions ebb and flow and that's certainly going to have an impact on those near-term market moves. But longer term, it's about what is the structure of the economy? What are the structure of different industries? What are the structure of different asset classes? And we are entering in a new period, a period of fiscal dominance, where government spending, in order to achieve a certain aim, becomes even more prevalent and necessary. And why is that? Well, our fiscal situation. That's simple as that. And it means a new way of thinking that you need to get accustomed to. This isn't the financial crisis. This isn't, this isn't 08. This isn't about a giant deflationary impulse. It's not about massive amounts of debt and bad debt that's on bank balance sheets. It's different. It's been kicked up to the sovereign level. Debt in government. And how will government, both the... the I guess you can't say the three pillars of government because the the judicial, the Supreme Court doesn't really have a say in those things. But Congress and obviously the White House and then the Treasury and Federal Reserve, all of them have a role to play to navigate this environment. And none of it will be easy. It could get very bad and it could be more mild. Depends on... Policies implemented, both here domestically as well as abroad. Because a lot of what happens in financial markets is relative. 
We know that with interest rates. Interest rates in economies that are higher, that means typically means currencies are stronger, typically. But that, once again, that's all relative. So you don't want to be married to one particular specific outcome. But you do have to recognize the broader landscape that you're operating in. And so that's what we're here to help you with. To try to avoid black and white thinking, emotional reactions, and getting too married to one side or the other. Focusing on the facts, not the emotions of, oh, I don't like who's in the White House or who's in Congress or who's at the Treasury. And using that as a guide to your decision-making process or vice versa. And maybe you like the person in, in the White House. But that doesn't change the facts on the ground because the White House, the president, frankly, a small portion of that whole ecosystem that we call the financial, the financial system. And so it's important to have unbiased perspective. And that's what we try to give you. I don't have an axe to grind. Just using the data that we see and the experience that we've had over 20 plus years of investment experience, as well as studying history, studying various eras. And you can go back in history and see these type of situations play out in the past, happened in the 1800s. What did what do we do? Well, we force banks to buy our debt. Yeah, that happened in the 1800s. So that's one example of policy that was implemented that probably will be implemented again in the future. And what type of impact does that have on the broader economy and the banking sector? So these are the things you have to consider with the end goal of strengthening your portfolio, your plan, and your financial freedom. So let's get started. I'm ready to tackle your investment questions. You've got a call though. The Invest Talk phone lines never close. It's 888 chart Now my main focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Is there a smart way to use large caps in a portfolio? And this is more of a broad overview of large caps. So we're going to find what large caps are, what are the advantages and disadvantages, what type of volatility does it have compared to other slices of the equity markets? What type of risk does it, sorry, what type of uh, reward does it have? How to diversify? What type of time horizon should you have when you're investing in large cap stocks? And I like this one because a lot of people say, oh, large cap stocks, that's conservative. I hear that all the time. I'm investing in large cats, blue, blue chips, right? Blue chips. That's conservative. Uh-uh. That's aggressive. All equities are aggressive. Repeat that again. All equities are aggressive. Now, the shades of aggressive. It's less aggressive than micro caps, right? Still aggressive. 
So I want to go over this and explain why that's still aggressive. Okay. Also, let's, we're about a year into the Inflation Reduction Act as well as the CHIPS Act. These were signed August of last year. So we're a year in. And what type of impact has it had on the clean energy industry? So we're going to look at that. Also, everyone's talking about AI. And the reality here is there's a lot of parallels to the dot-com bubble 1.0. So we're going to look at those parallels. And then lastly, oil companies are starting to have to make tougher choices. For a year ago, when the in the midst of the first few months of the Ukraine war, oil prices, energy prices high, profits were flowing, cash flow was flowing. And it was easy to say, we're only going to reinvest a certain amount, we're going to pay dividends, we're going to buy back stock. Now, and profits have come down a little bit, but they're still robust, but it's a little more difficult to say where we're going to, where am I going to put this money? So what, we're going to look at what uh, these oil companies are doing. Okay. So those things are on my mind, but ultimately it's more about you. And that's why we're going to get to your voice bank questions. One is on dividends and taxes and then Berkshire Hathaway. So that's all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, And of course, we're taking your live calls as well at 888-989-CHART. Let's take a look at the market today. It was decidedly red day. We had the Fed minutes coming out of, come out at 11 o'clock. They were fairly hawkish. The only members that said they want to pause were non-voting members. So they took it like that. Uh, but I think what will be most important, remember, those are very backwards looking. That's what happened three, four weeks ago, nearly a month ago now. And... What's most important is next week, Jackson Hole, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, all the central bankers of the world get together. They discuss what they should be doing about the broader economy, both domestically here as, as well as abroad, and what risks there are. And often that precipitates a shift in policy. Once you get together and talk to your colleagues and get a little deeper dive and maybe there's changes that can help the broader financial system, help a, an ally, etc. And so what the speeches out there will be are going to have a large impact. So something we're definitely watching. But we are, as I've said over the past few weeks, we're entering a more volatile period, seasonality, as well as from a liquidity perspective. And so it should not not be shocked to you to see this modest so far controlled pullback in the equity markets. Now we're heading to a break. Let me tell you about the new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight, and it's free over on our YouTube channel. It's our second episode, and we touch on the opportunities and the risks within that space. You can you can check that out by heading over to our YouTube channel. Just search Invest Talk. And now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at eight at eight ninety nine chart. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, 
How do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it benefit the entire invest talk community thank you for what you guys do that's why 24 7 rain or shine no matter how simple or how complex your questions make a difference symbol bke what's your outlook and invest talk is made better by the power of you so don't forget to call 888-99-CHART You're building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey Steve, just wanted to get your thoughts on Salesforce, stock symbol C, as in Charlie, R as in Romeo, M as in Mike. I wanted to start a start you know a position in this talk um, for the next four to five years. So I just wanted to get your thought on you know, would this be a good time to start that position or should I wait for it to pull back a little more? Seems like it's at a good point right now, but um, just wanted to get your thoughts. Thank you. We'll listen to the answer on the podcast. All right, this is Salesforce, and it was is one of the first and most successful cloud computing. Sp- companies in the world, SaaS software companies in the world. And it is certainly a large cap, $200 billion market cap. The good news, no debt in its balance sheet, a few billion in cash. That is nice. Now, if you look at uh, certain ratios, price-sales ratio, six times, that's a little expensive. Price-to-free cash flow is at about 29 times. That is also a bit expensive. If you're looking at cash flow operations, about $8 billion. And it is near an all-time high. So that is certainly a positive. If you look at its profitability numbers, turn assets, that has pulled back lately and hasn't recovered. And that worries me a bit why that hasn't uh, recovered uh, at all over the past uh, year or so, even though the economy has recovered. So no dividend yield here. What are they doing with their cash? They are, are they buying back shares? Uh, They just started to, that's positive. They've bought back about 25 million shares over the past year after constantly issuing more and more shares. So that's good that they are they're doing some more shareholder-friendly um, actions, let's just say that. Earnings was to go to $8.42 next year. That looks like a forward-looking multiple in the mid-20s at $207 per share right now. So I... I like the, the trajectory of shareholder action. I like they don't have a lot of debt, but the technicals are pretty poor. So I would hold off on this. I wouldn't buy this until it gets back to around the 160 level. It's at 207 now. So that's where I would pick up Salesforce. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime. Leave your question on the Vestock Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART. 
And I've got a question about warrant shares. I think that's the right term. Got a question for Steve or Justin? 888-99-CHART. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Is there a smart way to use large cap stocks in your portfolio? And this is a good overview of how to think about the implementation of uh, large cap companies in your portfolio. Now, let's first first start by defining what a large cap stock is. Now, Morningstar looks at something being a large cap as... Anything in the top 70% of aggregate market capitalization for a particular market. So looking at um, you know, U.S. stocks, European stocks, Canadian stocks, etc. And currently, if you just look at U.S. stocks, anything with 12, a market cap of $12.8 billion or more qualifies as a large cap stock. Now, that's Morningstar definition. Others kind of break it down between mega caps and large caps. So mega caps would be included in large caps. Large caps would not be included in mega caps, right? So, you know, maybe use 50%, but a, a good basis is probably in that 15 billion or more range. Now, how do you calculate a market cap? You take the number of shares outstanding by the current market price. That's the current, that would be the market cap. Now, large cap stocks, they make up the majority of available markets. So it makes sense that you have a significant portion in large caps if you are in equities. Okay, so that's number one. Now, what's the upside of large caps? Well, they're widely followed and well-researched. So there's a lot of analysts that are following them. So you kind of get a, get a pretty good idea of where earnings are headed because you have a wide number of analysts and the more analysts you have, the better in aggregate those are going to be at pinpointing forward-looking earnings. Okay, And then they're liquid. They're widely owned and there's a lot of potential buyers. So you're not paying big spreads to sell them if you need to. Now, over the past 97 years, large cap stocks have done very well. Now, not as good as small cap stocks. They have about a one and a half percentage point edge per year. So if you're looking for total return over a long period of time, small caps are going to do better. Now, stocks are inherently risky. They're just risky endeavors. They're riskier than bonds. And you have to be aware of that. But once again, as I said at the top of the show, large cap stocks are safer than small cap stocks. And when I say safer, it just means they have less standard deviation, less volatility. Okay. Now, the reason I say large cap stocks are still aggressive means that they still can go down 50% or more over a short period of time. If you look back over the past 40 years or so, 
Large cap stocks have lost as much as 50% or more during market drawdowns. Obviously, 2008 and 2000, that was one. And then they're subject to large pullbacks in just a quarter. That's happened be 20% or more multiple times over that period. Now, it also depends on what slice of the large cap space you're looking at. So large cap blend, the max drawdown about 50.1, 51%. The worst return, 22%. This is since 1990. And the standard deviation, 14.5. Large cap growth, their standard deviation, 1669 Versus large cap value, only 14.27. That's the standard deviation. So large cap growth, obviously, <clears throat> much more volatile. And the max drawdown, 58.5% for large cap growth versus, versus the blend of only 51%. Now, how do you get exposure? Do you buy a fund or do you buy one stock? Well, obviously, if you buy a fund, you're instantly diversified. So if you don't want to do individual research, funds could be fine. If you buy individual stocks, you can outperform and you can drastically underperform. For example, 2021, one out of every large cap stock lost 10% or more, but the overall market was up 26% in that one year. So if you're going to index, if you're going to index in any slice of the market, large cap is the space to index. When you start getting out of that, mid cap, small caps, foreign stocks, bonds, corporate bonds, et cetera, indexing makes, tends to make a lot less sense because it's easier to outperform. Now, if you go back in any five, eight, 10 year period, over a 10 year period, there's a 10% chance that if you invested in large cap growth, you'd be underwater 10 years later. Large cap value, only 2.2% chance. This is since 1990. So large cap growth is the riskiest, and you can see that, where it's tend to get ahead of itself. And valuations get more out of whack, and therefore over a, a decade, you have about a 1 in 10 chance of being down. Okay. Large cap growth funds have taken as long as 13 years to make back all of their losses after market downturns since 1990. Now, how much your portfolio should be in large caps? Well, that depends on your risk tolerance level and you know how, much, how many bonds you have, right? So it's all uh, various shades of, of risk there. Well, I think that about does it. Uh, we're on, on to the next break and I'm ready for your calls. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like, the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, 
bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Justin, Steve, or Luke. I actually had a two part question today. First question was uh, What are your thoughts on Berkshire Hathaway, BRKB? I'm up about 100% of my position. It's a small position. Would you add to it or just hold? And second question I don't know if you're allowed to share, but how well are your portfolios doing? Let's say, KPP Financial's best performing portfolio, maybe against the S&P or maybe against Berkshire Hathaway. Um, if you're allowed to share, that would be kind of cool. Anyway, let me know your thoughts on Berkshire and um, how your portfolios are doing. I'm sure they're doing great. Thank you so much for your help. Bye. All right. Well, I, I can't speak specifically about our portfolios. I would say we're generally in line with the market on our uh, most aggressive strategy uh, this year um, after outperforming last year. That's really about all I can say. You know, every account is slightly different, different cash flows. Everyone has their own account, so it's not this pooled fund. Uh, so uh, just kind of a generalization there. Uh, but Berkshire itself, it is a well-diversified company. It's kind of a like its own mini value mutual fund. That's the way I think of Berkshire Hathaway. Why? Because they have th- their largest business is Geico. They also have reinsurance business, and they have a lot of smaller industrial businesses. They own Burlington Northern, right? Railroad. They have utilities, energy distributors. So you can see all of these type of businesses are fairly bread and butter, finance, industrial, commodity, energy space, and. That's the way you want to think about it. It's well run. And a lot of people focus on, oh, they own these stocks or whatever. That's not where most of their earnings come from. That's a small percentage of their assets. The majority of their business comes from, or their, their, their profits and their revenue, cash flows, et cetera, that comes from the underlying businesses that they own. Now, technically, you're at a double top here, so it is in resistance along with the market pullback. Not shocked to see a modest pullback. Now, would you? Would I add to it? I'd have to look at the rest of your portfolio. I can't say I would. I would be. I would classify this as finance, kind of industrial. No, sorry, not industrial. Uh, insurance, and I have to look at that exposure compared to the rest of your portfolio. How does that look like? Would I be against adding to it? Probably a little bit here, just because of that technical resistance, but. On a, on a pullback back into this, I'm looking at Berkshire B into the 320 level. I don't think that's a, a bad area to, to pick up more if it made sense for your portfolio, your strategy, your goals, et cetera. I don't, I'm not privy to that, so I can't tell you to buy more. Would I hold it here? I'd probably hold it. Okay. 
Let's go to Daniel in Colorado looking at Kroger. Hi. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about Kroger. I know they're going to have a, a buyout or a merge with um, Albertson Safeway. And I've noticed that the stock has been down lately. I own a little bit of it and it seems, seems to be on a downward trajectory. So I was just curious about your thoughts on Kroger. So we've owned Kroger in the past. So it's a good company, good business. I do like the secular tailwinds that the grocery business has, mainly because it is less labor intensive than your restaurants. And so the cost of eating out is going to likely relatively increase more than eating in. And then on top of that, you have people working from home. And if you work from home, you're less likely to, hey, go to lunch at some restaurant with your colleagues. Instead, you might eat at home, right? I'll, I'll see this. So there's some secular, I think, nice tailwinds to the grocery business compared to eating out. Everyone has to eat. It's either eating out or you're eating at home. So that's why we actually bought at a certain point during the pandemic. We bought a bunch of, uh, of, of these grocers. Now we only own one of them. I wouldn't say a bunch. We own, we own three. Now we only own one. <clears throat> and I'll say the one that we own is not Kroger anymore. The one that we own is smaller, has other secular tailwinds, like it's more focused on organic groceries and, and natural foods. It's smaller, has more room to grow versus Kroger. It's the largest grocer in the US. So that's our take. It's not bad. The technicals are also not great. I would frankly go look for better opportunities in this space. Okay. So those are my thoughts on Kroger. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on the two pieces of legislation that came out of Congress this time last year, and that was the Inflation Reduction Act and the Chips and Science Act. They passed within just a handful of days of each other, and combined, they offered about $400 billion in tax credits, loans, and subsidies, and it was designed to spark clean technology development as well as the semiconductor supply chain. Now, since they have passed over the past year, more than 110 large-scale manufacturing announcements have been made across semiconductors, electric vehicles, batteries, solar, and wind parts. Now, at least $224 billion in clean tech and semiconductor manufacturing projects have been announced, promising to create about 100,000 jobs. Now, those are estimates, and you don't know exactly what those total numbers will be, but that's generally what's been announced. Now, the pace of announcements has slowed, but you're still getting more announcements each, each month. This month, you had Singapore Maxian Solar. They announced a $1 billion solar panel factory in Albuquerque, New Mexico. First Solar, uh, who's a U.S. solar manufacturer, they are opening their fifth plant worth about a billion one in Louisiana, and it's the largest capital investment in the region's history. 
Now, the largest commitments have come from Intel. They're expanding their campus in Arizona. Taiwan Semiconductor, they're building their second fabrication plant also in Arizona. And IBM's investing a large amount in New York's Hudson Valley region. And Micron will build the U.S. largest semiconductor plant in Clay, New York. <clears throat> now, which states are getting the most projects? Georgia and South Carolina. Georgia with 14, South Carolina with 11, and then Michigan, Ohio, and Arizona are three, four, and five. <clears throat> Volkswagen is building a $2 billion plant in South Carolina. And they're also getting about a billion three of incentives from the state as well. So it's not just happening on a federal level. It's being combined with state subsidies as well. Now, what's interesting here is that 80% of clean tech and semiconductor investments that were announced are happening in Republican-led states, even though there wasn't a lot of backing uh, from that side of Congress. And it's not just U.S. companies. South Korean and European companies have really led the way in the investment. And this is mainly happening because of demographics there. Demographics in Europe and South Korea are, are pretty bad. This is pretty similar to what happened in Japan. Japan saw the writing on the wall, and they started to set up manufacturing outside of Japan, knowing that they have the technology, they have the brands, but they don't have the workers because they're demographics. And so what do they do? Big tennis, there's big Toyota plants in Tennessee and Texas, et cetera. And you're starting to see that happening in South Korea and Europe as well. South Korea has announced 20 plans, Europe 19, or projects, excuse me, 20 projects. And in February, actually, the EU is starting to develop their own industrial policy plan uh, that is trying to compete with these two pieces of legislation. China's investing a little bit, but a lot of their projects are pretty small. And the big question here is, will we have enough engineers and manufacturers, or, or, uh, workers, builders, construction workers? And the association, Associated Builders and Contractors said the U.S. faces a shortfall of 500,000 construction workers this year alone to keep up with the demand for these factories, uh, as well as raw materials, especially because these acts force the sourcing of raw materials to domestic sources and free trade partners. So will we be able to source enough raw materials for that? I think is a big, big question. And will we do it fast enough to not fall behind technologically? So those are kind of the risks of this, but that's a big reason why the economy kind of continues to be relatively strong as well as unemployment being low because you're not getting even even if home building slows for example which looks like it, it might in the near term those workers are just going to go build plants and so that's why unemployment and the jobs market remains relatively robust so interesting to see that analysis and the first large scale industrial policy developed in this country really since 50s 60s so pretty interesting change of events and something you should probably expect going forward, no matter who's in power in Congress. Now, we're moving quickly through the third quarter. And Steve and I have been telling you for a while now that we're in a new market regime. Regime, Fiscal dominance is the name of the game. And serious investors have to adjust their thinking and their strategies to fit the times. So the big question is, are you prepared for a world of higher inflation, higher interest rates, 
more of this industrial policy that fits that fiscal dominance narrative. Well, if you need help, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients. And we, we do free portfolio review assessments via telephone or go to meeting. And you can set up one for yourself by going over to investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized for where we're at. Now, this is Invest Talk with more than 54.8 million downloads in our history, thanks to you. Next up, more market analysis and more answers to your questions. So hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin. Hey, Steve. This is Mike from Florida, long-time listener, couple-time caller. I had a quick question. I'm a dividend investor, and I was looking at the stock BCE. It's a Canadian telecommunications stock. And I do like it, but what I was reading online is that there is a tax on the dividends of 15%. Then I found another little clip online that said if it's in a retirement account, such as a Roth IRA, they actually don't take a dividend tax on that. Canada doesn't do the tax withholding on the dividend. I mean, I just wanted to know if you could clarify that for me. Thank you, and have a great day. All right. Yes, there are some what are called uh, foreign taxes that you have to pay when a foreign company is paying a, a tax to or a, a dividend to you, and there are some withholdings for that. And it depends on the country that you're that where that's coming from. It's coming from the UK or Canada or Germany or wherever. And so you definitely have to look into that. It does depend, too, if it's an IRA, a tax-deferred account, or not. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head exactly what it is for Canada. And if there is a difference in in a 401k or an IRA, let me see here. I know it is 15%. It's been 15% for a while. Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to look this up, to be honest with you. I don't know it off the top of my head. Uh, but understand that for everyone out there, that when you're investing in a company that pays a dividend, understand the tax implications, whether that is you reporting it later and it being a qualified dividend or not, if it's a domestic company, right? If it's qualified or is it coming from a REIT or a, a limited partnership, then it's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate, et cetera. Uh, or if it's a foreign com company, what is our tax treaty with them? That's always something to look up. So I'm glad you pointed it out. I don't know what it is for the IRAs or 401ks, frankly, with Canada. Let's go to Luke in Wisconsin looking at SMLR. Hey, hey Justin. Uh, this company has been popping up on my screeners for a while now. A uh, small cap company, or I guess micro cap company, that uh, it looks pretty good. They have a a device that is pretty ingrained in a uh, little niche market. Uh, it's like PAD devices, peripheral atrial disease, or disease testing, I think. 
and looks like a good company. Uh, let me know what you think. Thank you. All right. Pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a micro cap, $183 billion market cap. Let me look at some financials here. A lot of cash in the balance sheet. That looks good. No debt. I like that. Let me see what they're doing with their shares. Yeah, they've stopped issuing shares. So that's a positive. Earnings are starting to accelerate. I like that. So it's to make $3.05 this year, roughly $3 next year. And analysts are upgrading those earnings. So I like that. And that's about a nine times forward-looking earnings since it's trading at $27 per share. Let me look at the chart here. Yeah, the technicals are improving, certainly outpacing the broader market over the past few weeks now that it is up. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up if you are a fan of their product, which sounds like you've done a deep dive there. I like the fundamentals. I like the earnings trends. I like the trend of analyst estimates, etc. So I'm going to give SMLR a thumbs up. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. 888 99 Chart. Hello, I have a question for KPP Finance. Uh, so this question is about two stocks one is Meta META. Another stock is about AMC. A as in Apple, M as in Mary, C as in Charlie. So what are the prospects for these two stocks? Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, AMC is looks like it's going bankrupt. So you definitely don't want to be touching that one. Uh, Meta is, has had a huge rally on the back of AI. Obviously, the relative downfall of Twitter or X, however you call it, the... You know, that seems to be, I would say downfall, but certainly Elon's weakened that brand uh, by, I don't want to get into it, but basically throwing away the value of the Twitter brand and, and just changing it to X. So, uh, you know, Meta's rolled over and it's just weakening like a lot of the other growth names. So I think you don't want to be buying it anywhere near here. Uh, if it gets back down and blow $100 per share, maybe, again, but neither of these are buys at the current time. Uh, now, I want to quickly address that question earlier about the Canadian stocks and their tax implications. And you're correct that Canada does not tax dividends on Canadian stocks held in IRA. So that's interesting. Uh, I had to look that one up for you. And now I know. Now you know. So thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on the parallels between the current AI mania and the dot-com bubble. I call it 1.0. And shares of NVIDIA are up dramatically this year, as well as the NASDAQ up 37% as of, uh, as of August 11th. So this is a few days back. Obviously, that's down a bit since. But you know, there's a huge AI boom, and people are scrambling to get exposure at any cost. And that's the issue here, any cost. And it's pretty clear based on history that 
you have to be wary of overpaying. And there are some telltale, telltale signs that the current market concentration is very similar, actually more extreme than even in 2000. The 10 big, biggest stocks in the S&P now comprise a third of the entire S&P. In 2000, it was 25%. Currently, NVIDIA, obviously the hallmark of the AI names, trading at 40 times sales over the past 12 months and 20 times forward-looking sales. That's double the average over the last decade, which was 10 times, which is still expensive. The SP right now currently trades at 2.4 times sales. Now, if you go back to 2000, at that time, 43 high multiple internet stocks were worth at least $5 billion or more and traded at 25 times revenue in 2000. And over the next two years, they crashed 80% on average, eight zero. Now, it doesn't mean that all these companies were bad. Some of these companies, the underlying business, were fine. Many of them, sales grew tenfold over the next two decades. But shares returned on average on the NASDAQ 16% over the next 20 years. The S&P returned 284%. And these basket of 43 stocks included Amazon and Microsoft and Cisco. At the time, Cisco traded at 38 times sales. Sound familiar? What's NASDAQ? What's, what's NVIDIA? 40. And since then, Cisco has returned only 45% over two decades. Over two decades, or 23 years. And most of that's dividends. In a price basis, it's only up 0.4% if you exclude the dividends. So the lesson here is valuations matter, not just stories. And unfortunately, people get euphoric. And as you saw in 2020 and 2021, markets extrapolate growth too far. And that's likely what you're seeing here in AI. So I want to give you that perspective once again. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Best Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And don't forget to check out our new Sector Spotlight series that we posted over on YouTube. And remember to follow Best Talk on our social platforms as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Best Talk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening. 
And your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 